Good morning. If you have a Bible and want to follow along in it, you turn to the book of Genesis, first book in the Bible, chapter 18 today. And if you're just joining us in our journey through Genesis, you might be wondering how in the world a book that's that old, it's probably written 3,500 years ago, 3,500 years ago, how can a book that old possibly have anything to say to you today that would be relevant for you in your life? Well, here, here's a couple of questions you could ask yourself, um, whether you're new to the journey or you've been with us from the beginning here. Uh, two questions. First question, would you like to be blessed by God? Would you like God to bless you? Okay, so that's the first question. I find most people would say yes to that, um, especially if they come to church, you know. And then the second question would be, um, would you like your life to be a blessing to other people? Would you like those around you to be blessed by you? Now, if you would say yes to either one of those questions, then I think that what we're going to learn today in Genesis chapter 18, as we see uh, something from the life of Abraham, I think you're going to find this is something you're going to want to know and grab hold of. So, Genesis 18, uh, verses 1 through 33, it's, it's a, a lengthy portion, so let's get right to it. It's, uh, it's a bit long, but it's really interesting. Okay, so Genesis 18, beginning at verse 1. The Lord appeared to Abraham, so right away we know this is not just another day. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance uh, to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seahs of fine flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. Then he brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Now, this obviously took some time. And, and in this, uh, we get this, very pic, this beautiful picture of the kind of hospitality that historically the Middle East is famous for. So here's this uh, wonderful picture of hospitality. Then we get to verse 9. Where is your wife Sarah? They asked him. There in the tent, he said, Then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my master is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. 
Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. (laughs) When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sins so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to to kill the righteous and the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I've been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I'm nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city because of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I've been so bold to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. Now, if all this seems rather unusual, it's because it is. This is not the ordinary experience of somebody who believes in God. And I I feel like it's important to point that out, because sometimes when people read accounts like this in the Bible, these narrative accounts, they, they assume that, well, this, this can't really be true, Because nothing like this has ever happened to me. And nothing like this has ever happened to anybody I know of. So I I don't think this can be true. But see, that's why it's in the Bible. Because it's unusual. You know, all of these things that happen as you read through the, the, the big story of the Bible, these are unusual things by definition. This is God working in an unusual way to make himself known and to accomplish his purpose. So people like Abraham and Moses, Noah, Isaiah, they have all experienced things that most believers throughout history have not. If you were to go back and, you know, look at the life of average Joe Israelite, they wouldn't be like this. And I say that to say this. If God has never shown up at your front door like this, it doesn't mean he's not involved in your life. And it doesn't mean he doesn't have plans for you. 
In fact, if you are a believer in Jesus, if you have come to the place of saying yes to Jesus Christ, responding to his invitation, receiving him into your life, his, his gift of eternal life, of eternal relationship with God, then I believe God wants you to learn something from this incident that happened so long ago, this unusual incident. That's why it was written down in the Bible for us. Look at Romans 15.4. It says, For whatever was written in former days, this qualifies, was written for our instruction. And Paul's writing to fellow believers in Jesus long time after this happened. It was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So God intends for this passage to give you hope. So let's unpack it and see what we find. So the Lord appears to Abraham, and he tells him a couple of amazing things. First... He tells him that this promise that he first made to Abraham 24 years earlier is now about to come to fulfillment. And he says, Sarah is finally going to become pregnant and give birth to a son within a year. And Sarah, who's eavesdropping behind the flap of the tent, she hears this, and what does she do? She laughs. She chuckles. She says to herself, you have got to be kidding me. I'm almost 90. Abraham is almost 100. And she thinks, and we're going to have a baby? Ha! And you know, a similar thing happened back in chapter 17. God told Abraham that Sarah would give birth to a son, and Abraham laughed. Frankly, this is not the best way to respond when God gives you a promise. As God himself asks, is anything too difficult for Yahweh? That's the Lord in all caps like that. That's the one true God. Is anything too hard for Yahweh? No. So they really ought not to be laughing. But I love this. God is so gracious. Even though Abraham and Sarah have both laughed at his promise, he doesn't condemn them. He doesn't condemn their weak faith. You know why? It's because they belong to him. They're right with him. We saw this back in chapter 15 last time, where it said Abraham believed Yahweh. He put his hope in this promise, and the Lord counted it to him as righteous. Abraham's right with him. Sarah's right with him. God accepted them. God counted them righteous because they put their hope in him. And, and so look at this. This is so great. If you go back to chapter 17, verse 19, when, when Abraham laughed at God's promise, God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. Do you know what Isaac means? It means he laughs. Now, Abraham, you're going to have a son, and Sarah's going to be the mom, and uh, I want you to name him He Laughs. Who laughs? I'm pretty sure it's God. I'm pretty sure it's God. This, 
Isaac's name is God's gracious, gentle rebuke to Abraham and Sarah and their laughter. It's as if God says to them, I, I think with a smile on his face, he says, so, so you didn't think I could pull this off with a couple of old timers like you. You didn't think I could do this. Well, I have a word for you. I have something to say. You ready? Ha. <laughs> he laughs. I just, I think that's just beautiful. And, and I think every time his parents called him, hey, Isaac, they would, <laughs> hey, he laughs. Every time they said his name, they, they might well remember, yeah, that's right. We laughed at God's promise, uh, and he got the last laugh. We get to laugh with him. It's beautiful. And then God says something else. He tells Abraham what he's about to do with Sodom and Gomorrah, and, he, and that leads to this just incredible interaction between Abraham and, and God as Abraham pleads with with God not to condemn the righteous along with the wicked. And he starts with 50 and, you know, works his way down to 10. It's kind of like, you know, almost feels like negotiating the price of a car or something. But, but Abraham is just concerned. And, 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 and God, uh, you know, Abraham is thinking, we know, he, he must be thinking of his nephew Lot who went to live in Sodom and, and his family. And so he's pleading with God, please don't, don't condemn the righteous along with the wicked. And it's just so amazing, isn't it? And God listens to him. And God responds to him. So much grace. It is such a common untruth that God in the Old Testament was this mean grouch who then got nice and kind in the New Testament. No, God is the same. He is a God of grace. In fact, he, told, uh, he tells Moses later at, uh, at Mount Sinai his, his, the meaning of his name, Yahweh, gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, keeping faithfulness to thousands of generations, forgiving iniquity. I mean, he's gracious in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and he's holy in the Old Testament and the New Testament. You see, grace and wrath, both. God is gracious and holy, righteous. So much grace. Now, what is the point of all this? Why is this here? Why, why did the Lord tell Abraham about you know, the, his coming birth of his son and this impending judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah and more to the point, why did God have this written down for us? What, what are we supposed to learn? Here's what I think. I think this interaction between God and Abraham, um, I think this shows us what God wants in the lives of those he blesses. Remember, this is all about God's promise to bless. God chose Abraham. God took Abraham out of a, a land of false gods and, and, and lost people, and he chose him, and he made him a promise, and he promised to, to make him into a great nation and give him a land and to bless him. But God never intended to bless Abraham alone. 
He told Abraham that all the peoples of the earth, and it's renewed here, all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. So get this, blessing Abraham is not the goal. That's not the end. That's a means to the end. What is the end? What is the goal? Blessing the world. God blesses him to bless them. And the same is true for those of us who are in Christ. For those who belong to Jesus, those whom God blesses in Christ. God does not bless us just to bless us. He, bless, he wants that blessing to flow through us to a world in desperate need of His grace and His truth. And every day reveals even more how desperately the world needs His grace and His truth. The blessing is to flow through. And this passage shows us how that can happen. What do you have to do for God's blessing to flow through you? See, that's, that's God's goal here for us, that, that in blessing us, He would bless through us. And I, I believe this, that it's as the blessing flows through us to others that we experience that blessing in a much richer, much deeper way. It becomes life-giving. If you want to think of an analogy, think of how the Jordan River flows into two big bodies of water. It flows into the Sea of Galilee, and it flows out of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is fresh and an abundant life, and then it flows into another body of water, but it doesn't flow out. You know what that body of water is called? The Dead Sea. It says the blessing flows through us that life abounds. So what do you have to do for God's blessing to flow through you? I, I see two things here. First, you have to count on his plan. You have to know God's plan and you have to count on it. It's very clear here that God has a plan. He plans to give Abraham and Sarah a son. He plans to deal with the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. And notice, he wants Abraham to know the plan, and he wants him to count on the plan. That's the reason for the visit. If Abraham didn't need to know the plan, then this wouldn't be here. But it is here because God wants him to know the plan, and he wants us to know the plan. And so Abraham, God says, Sarah's going to have a son next year. And Abraham, I'm going to judge Sodom, and if it really is utterly wicked, I'm going to destroy it. That's the plan, Abraham. You can count on it. Now, you can laugh at God's plan if you want to. You can decide that God's plans are impossible, and you can just chuckle. You know, you can, you can open up the Bible, and you can find one of the promises that's yet to be fulfilled, and you can say, right, sure. Oh, sure, Jesus is going to return to earth someday, and he's going to right every wrong and judge the world, and he's going to rescue all those who trust in him, and he's going to condemn those who don't. Sure he is. Come on. That promise is 2,000 years old. Okay, but think about it. Think about it. You know how long it was from the time God made the promise to Abraham till the coming of 
Messiah in whom all the promise comes to fulfillment? How long? From the promise to the coming of Messiah. 2,000 years. 2,000 years. So why is it a problem if it's been 2,000 years from Messiah's first coming and His promised return? It's not a problem. The age of the promise doesn't matter. And I'm sure when, you know, when uh, I'm sure Abraham thought, you know, Lord, um, when you first made this promise to my wife and I about children, we were a lot younger then. We were, we were still old, but we weren't nearly as old as we are now. And so, you know, that promise, I think that could have happened back then, but now it's been too long, just way too long. <laughs> God's like, really? Surprise! Do you know that Jesus said this about his promised return? He said this, Therefore you also must be ready For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So you can laugh at God's plan, or you can count on it because it's going to happen. It's going to happen. See, that's what God wanted Abraham to do. He wanted him to count on it. And that's what he wants those of us who by faith in Jesus are children of Abraham. He wants us to count on his plan. Absolutely know it and count on it. Well, what's the plan? Well, God promised Abraham that all the peoples of the earth would be blessed through his offspring. And Jesus came to fulfill that. And he said, it, he said this in, in Matthew 16, 18. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, church... Go and make disciples of all nations. That's the plan. Jesus will build his church through his people going and making disciples of all nations. That's the plan. Count on it. Believe it. That's what God's doing in the world. That's the most important thing that's happening in the world today. It will not make headlines, but that's God's plan. That's what he's doing. Count on it. He will do it. Okay, but why does God want us to count on it? What, what good does that do? Why did he tell Abraham the plan? Why did he want Abraham to count on the plan? Is that just so Abraham can have peace of mind knowing, hey, yeah, God's got a good plan. Well, that's part of it, but that's not the whole story. God wants us to count on the plan so we can do something else, which is participate in his plan. Engage, get involved, be a part of it. Know the plan so you can count on the plan so you can participate in the plan. That's what God wants. Um, I don't know if you have ever found yourself puzzled by this. How, How does what we do affect God's plan? I mean, if God's got a plan then will anything we do make any difference? If Jesus is going to build his church, isn't he just going to do that? Uh, You know, he's going to do that no matter what we do, right? He said he would. 
Here's something that happens. This is a problem. This is when people look into the Bible and they find a truth, and then they take that truth and they run it to an unbiblical conclusion. They say, well, because this is true, and then they they draw a conclusion from that that's not biblical. So they'll say things like, well, okay, God's got a plan, you know, he's... Jesus is building the church, so why do we need to share the good news? Why do we need to share the gospel of Jesus with other people? I mean, if God wants somebody to become a Christian, they will. He'll make it happen, right? And why send missionaries? Why go to all the trouble? Why go to all the expense to send missionaries to other cultures? And why pray? And why give? Why do we have to give? God's got a plan. He'll take care of it. But see, if you want to be consistent with that kind of thinking, then you should think like this. Hey, why do anything? Why get out of bed? Why go to work? Why eat? I mean, after all, God's got a plan. If he wants you to live, you'll live. You don't need to worry about eating. God will take care of it. Does that sound kind of stupid? Please nod your head. Yeah, that's stupid. And it's stupid because it's unbiblical. It's an unbiblical conclusion. It's, the conclusion is contrary to what the Bible teaches. Yes, the Bible teaches that God's got a plan. Yes, the Bible teaches that God will fulfill his plan. But you know what? It also teaches that what you and I do is part of the plan. God doesn't tell us the plan so we can sit back and be passive He tells us the plan to motivate us to get involved because that's how he intends to fulfill the plan. Now look at this. This is great. You see it in verses 18 and 19. Look at verse 18. God says, Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. You see the plan? That's a plan. God's got a plan. This will surely happen. Then look at verse 19. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. You see how this fit together? You got the plan in verse 18 and in verse 19 you've got Abraham's part. Abraham's not going to be a passive spectator. God has a plan and Abraham's active participation in obedience is part of the plan. It's how the plan happens. So then we get to this very interesting conversation. God tells Abraham about his plan to judge Sodom. Why? You know what the only answer that makes sense is? You know what we're supposed to learn from this? The only answer that makes sense is that God wanted Abraham to do what he did. He wanted Abraham to intercede. He wanted Abraham to say, wait, wait, wait. You're not going to sweep away the righteous with the wicked, are you? That wouldn't be right. You're the righteous judge of all the earth. You have to do what's right. God wanted Abraham to do that. God wanted Abraham to intercede. God wanted Abraham to feel this massive tension between the character of God and the situation in Sodom. 
He wanted Abraham to feel that. He wanted Abraham to step up and get in the gap and intercede and plead for those people. So don't let the fact that God has a plan cause you ever to just sit passively on the sidelines and say, hey, go God, and wait for the plan to happen. Get in there. Get in there. Go to God. Go to God. Let your concern for people and your love for the glory of God and your your desire to see the plan come to fulfillment, let that boil up into prayer. Pray like it makes a difference. Because it does. We don't have to understand how it does. We don't have to understand. I mean, I could... You know, we could talk about some different reasons why God set it up that way so that how our prayers make a difference, but we don't really have to understand why God made our prayers part of the plan. We don't have to understand how talking to God makes any difference. We just have to do it. Look at 1 Peter 4.7. The end of all things is near. That's a reference to the plan. God's got a plan. The end is in sight. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. He doesn't say, hey, you know, God's plan's coming to fulfillment, so you don't have to do anything. No, God's plan's coming to fulfillment, so be clear-minded, self-controlled, so you can pray. Ephesians 6.18, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You want mercy? You want grace? Go to the throne of grace and ask. It's fascinating to me. You read what the uh, biblical authors wrote. Read the like New Testament authors. Like You take uh, Peter here and, and the Apostle Paul. I mean, you read through the book of Romans. Paul's kind of magnum opus. And you read, there is not a person on the planet who was more confident of the sovereignty of God. God is in control. God has got a plan, and God is going to bring that plan to perfect fulfillment. There was not a person on the planet who was more convinced of that than the Apostle Paul. And yet, look at his life. He was active. He was sharing the gospel. He was going from place to place as much as he could to tell the good news of Jesus and to pray earnestly. He knew the plan, but it didn't make him passive. He got engaged. And we could ask, well, did Abraham's prayer for the people of Sodom make a difference? Apparently God didn't find ten righteous people there. But Genesis 19.29, so when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived made a difference to Lot and his family. You say, well, well, what would have happened if Abraham hadn't interceded? I don't know. But there's a sense in which it's beside the point. God wanted Abraham to intercede, and Abraham did. That's how God's plan got accomplished. So let's think about this uh, in, in light of our situation. 
If you're here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and um, you know God's got a plan. God, God is blessing you. What's His plan? Well, we know it's God's plan for our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers, fellow students, whatever. It's it's God's plan for them to hear the good news about Jesus. It's God's plan for churches like this one to actively engage in making disciples of all nations. That's God's plan. And the question is, are we going to actively participate in the plan? Well, how? Well, there's, there's several things. By, by praying, we, we see that. By um, sending missionaries, by uh, funding the making of disciples, by sharing, praying for our neighbors and sharing the good news with them. Uh, All these things, but maybe of all these things, prayer is the most foundational because because it's through prayer. I mean, in order for this plan to come to fulfillment, God's power has to work in people's lives. It all depends on God's power. Now, we need to reach out, we need to share, we need to send missionaries, we need to fund those efforts, but all of, the, all of that effort, I mean, in the second hour, we're going to be talking about the plans we've come up with for the, for the coming year, and we're going to be looking at our budget, and, and all of that is important, and we have to engage in the plan, but if we don't pray, we've got to pray. That, that effort has to be accompanied by prayer because only God can bring His plan to fulfillment. Only God can do that. And the amazing thing is, He intends to do it through us. Through our prayers. Through our outreach. Through our gifts. And so, I'm just going to end with this challenge. Um, Asking for a commitment to pray regularly, whatever regularly means in your life, whether that's several times a day, once a day, a few times a week, once a week, whatever praying regularly for you means, will you pray regularly that God will use us to share the love and truth of Jesus Christ with our community and with our world? We pray that God will be at work through our efforts, making disciples, fulfilling His plan. We pray for that. And I ask you now. I know many of you probably already have that commitment, but you might be like me, and at times the commitment gets a little weak, and other things come up. And let's face it, it's easy not to pray. Have you noticed that? It's easier to do other things. Prayer takes focus. It takes discipline it takes planning i mean really if we're going to pray well it's easy not to pray so at times we just need to be reminded okay god gave us this account so we would see the importance of intercession we would see the importance of god's people standing in the gap and pleading with god for his perfect goodness and justice to be demonstrated So let's do that because God is blessing us. He is blessing us and he's blessing us so that we can bless the world.
Okay, let's be the Sea of Galilee, not the Dead Sea. Okay? Will you pray with me? Let's pray right now. Father, this, uh, this passage shows us uh, your goodness in, in just another beautiful dimension. Lord, it's, just, it's staggering to me that, that you would have that kind of patience to listen to Abraham and listen to his negotiating, his pleading with you, and yet that is your heart. You are gracious and compassionate. You long for people to know you and to experience your salvation. And you've chosen to use us to to share that good news and to pray, to intercede for people. Lord, we all know people. We all know many people. And we look at our world and we see a world in desperate need of your love and your truth to be real in their lives. And so will you help us get our priorities straight and invest the time and the discipline and the energy into being fully engaged in your plan, praying like it matters, reaching out like it matters, because it does, Lord, for reasons we can only guess at. You have chosen us to be part of your plan. Lord, may that, may that excite us, may it thrill us, may it uh, sober us, May it help, help us examine our lives and see how we're doing, engaging in your plan. Help us with this, Father, that, that we might know your blessing more deeply as we see it flowing through us to others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.